Hey, Forge family. It is a cold, rainy night tonight outside. You can hear maybe in the background here there's a fan on the gas log fireplace behind me that's trying to heat this room. Uh, not very effectively, but it's trying. But my prayer for you tonight is that you're being held in the arms of the Father who knows your needs and loves you. So, Forge family, we uh, last week in, in episode number six of the Joseph story, this was uh, the chapters in, in Genesis that uh, highlight the elevation of Joseph, this 11th son of Jacob, from the jail to the palace. This was accomplished by God. Now hear me, this was accomplished by God. Because God gave paired dreams to Pharaoh. And none of his soothsayer priests, his keepers of the dream books and, and interpreters of dreams, none of them could answer Pharaoh's question, which was, what do these dreams mean? So Joseph is remembered by the cupbearer, the one who forgot him for two years. Okay, And, he, and Joseph is rushed into Pharaoh's presence. When he gets there, there's no small talk. Pharaoh wants an answer. To which Joseph says, not me. I do not interpret. God, Elohim, is the one who gives interpretations. And he will give them to Pharaoh's heart. And so, Pharaoh retells the dream. Seven years of astonishing harvests, and then seven years of crushing famine. At least, that is how Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams by Holy Spirit. And, and three times, Joseph says, Pharaoh, God is all over this dream, and, and he is going to give Pharaoh answers. So, he keeps assuring Pharaoh, this came from God. And then, unsolicited, Joseph steps up and offers a plan into Pharaoh's vacuum. You see, all of the soothsayers, all the wisdom and knowledge of Egypt, all the black magic that was available, the power workers were gathered around and they had no answers. And Pharaoh sat in a vacuum. And it was a vacuum of devastation and hopelessness because the interpretation of the dream said that coming famine is going to eat up the remembrance even the remembrance of the harvest. Joseph steps in and says, here's a plan to deal with both the harvest and the famine to save the nation of Egypt. Now, Pharaoh's response was, who else do we have in our midst who has wisdom and knowledge? And there's a resounding silence. He turns to Joseph and says, you're the man. And so then, here is this newly scrubbed newly gowned, newly shaved convict who's been brought up from the dungeon of Potiphar's house. And he is set over all the affairs of Pharaoh. Okay, He's set over the house of Pharaoh. That means all his estates, all his investments, all his wealth, everywhere in the land. Joseph is the man. Okay? And then he, Pharaoh says, everybody, everybody in Egypt is going to bow to you. 
That includes Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. Joseph is appointed over all the agriculture. He's clothed in fine linen. He's given a gold necklace of royalty and authority and the second best chariot. Absolute power, absolute authority, second only to Pharaoh in all the land. He's given a new name, which means God speaks and lives. Zaphonath Paneah. And lastly, he's given the wife of the daughter of the priest of On. Okay, he was the head seer in all of Egypt. And with one word, Joseph is married into Egyptian royalty. All right, Forge family. We have the plot, but we want to know what does that mean to us, to our families, to the church of Jesus Christ, and, and to the kingdom of God. The text here is designed to teach us how do we go forward. So, Lord Jesus, Lord God, Holy Spirit, we pray and we ask for eyes to see and ears to hear beyond words, beyond the plot, deep in the workings of our hearts. Yes, Lord, we want to be your servants wherever you place us. Teach us more today. Amen. All right, family, let's read Genesis chapter 41, starting verse 45, somewhere in the middle of verse 45. It says this. And Pharaoh gave Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its surrounding fields. Thus, Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. So, what is this business of an Egyptian wife? You know, where, where is Joseph going to get a godly wife? Is he going to go back to Haran, to his uncle, if you will, his great uncle, Laban, the trickster? Do you remember Mizpah, where they made a covenant, where Jacob and, and Laban made a, a covenant, and it said, the Lord watched between me and thee while we're apart one from another? But essentially it said, if you cross this line, you're dead. That closed the door for all of Jacob's sons to ever go back to Haran to get a wife from the compound of Laban. And then, where was, was Joseph going to go back to Canaan? Because obviously he'd seen, he would have seen, that, that Judah had gone off and married a Canaanite. That's inconceivable. All right, So he, he wasn't going to do that, because both Isaac and Jacob were sent out of the land to avoid having Canaanite wives. 440 years later, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, this is what it says. 
And this is, this is Moses. This is the second reading out of the law just prior to going into the land after 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses says, But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hivite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and as the Lord your God has commanded you in order that you may not teach excuse me, that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things, according to all that was done for their gods, so that you may, so that you would sin against your God. Moses is saying, no Canaanite wives, no wives from the nations that we're going to take in the land. Okay? They are utterly deviant, have nothing to do with them. So it would seem the only forbidden thing about husbands and wives is you don't take a Canaanite wife. Okay? So God wasn't displeased with the wife that was given to Joseph. God was not displeased with the wife that was given to Moses. Zipporah, daughter of the priest of Midian, she wasn't from Canaan. All right? And then we continue in the text. It says, Moses went out forth over the land. The best way to translate that is he rose higher than any other in the land. And then the next verse says, he went out through all the land. Okay, so the clock is ticking. The seven years of harvest has already started. He's got to get his plan in place. And so he goes up into northern Egypt, and he goes to southern Egypt, he goes to every city complex, and he assigns authority figures, sub-leaders, to put in place a taxation system that says 20% off the top of every harvest, every farmer's harvest, is taken as tax and stored in the city. Now, when you store grain, you know, you can drive around America sometimes, and you'll drive through the Midwest, and there is this mountain of grain. Typically it's corn, okay, or something like that that's been hulled and it's laid out of this gigantic mountain on the ground. Well, in Egypt, a couple times a year they had the calm scene, okay, this, this powerful, fiery dust storm that blows up out of the Sahara. That would turn your mountain of grain into a sand dune. So you don't want to do that. And, and you don't want to have it sitting on the ground where mice and rats can get at it. So what... The title really was of what of what Joseph was doing is he was the overseer of the granaries for Upper and Lower Egypt. That meant he had to have built enough storage out of mud brick that would be um, ventilated and dry and free of pests to keep that harvest safe. And he placed that storage in the region that was immediately around every city. So every city was provided for out of their own fields. All right, now let's read chapter um, 41, verses 50 to 52. And Joseph named the firstborn of his children. Excuse me, verse 50 says, Now before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him, and Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, 
For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. All right, Forge, uh, that's that's really clear to understand. He's 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 blessing the name of God. See, Manasseh comes from the, the word to forget or to make making to forget, or God has made me forget. And he says blatantly, God has covered all that hurt back home. The bitter rivalry between you know the mothers and the sons, the bitter hatred between his brothers and himself. Okay, the crazy thing that Simeon and Levi did up in Shechem where they, they slaughtered the whole town. All that craziness. He says, God has made me to forget. You know, one of the wonderful things about, about the Lord is he is able to buffer you from all those old hurtful memories where he takes away guilt and shame and hurt and confusion and he gives you Manasseh. He causes you to forget. And then secondly, his second son was Ephraim. Yeah, now, no, he named both his sons Hebrew names. He didn't give them, he didn't give them uh, Egyptian names. Ephraim means fruitfulness. God has made me fruitful in this land of affliction. Came down here as a slave, and I've risen and fallen, and risen and fallen, and risen and fallen. I spent a lot of time in jail, but I've been a slave the whole time. And God has prospered and blessed. So, Forge family, my prayer for you is that you get your Ephraim. You get your faithfulness, excuse me, fruitfulness from the faithful God. Whatever circumstance you're in, he's committed to making you fruitful. All right, let's read verses 53. To 57. It says, And when the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, you can hear the portcullis come down and the drawbridge come up. Okay, man, it's over. Bam! Harvest is over and famine comes, it says. Seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph has said. Then there was a famine in all the lands, but all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So it was, it was regional. This wasn't just the nation of Egypt. This was the whole region that was burnt up by that east wind. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the earth. Just as foretold, just as interpreted, God said, it's coming. And Joseph was faithful to say, likewise, it's coming. I'm not going to blunt this. It's going to be awful. But what had he done? He had stored up food. People appeal to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, you go deal with Joseph. All right? And so here it is. You know, he sells to the known world. Genesis 15, in the first encounter between God and Abram, 
in Ur of the Chaldees, he said to Abram, In you, Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, here is, if you will, the first occurrence of that, where all the families of the known world, right there in that region, they're all blessed because of the descendant of the seed of Abraham. That's in the natural. They got food to eat, okay? In the spiritual, what's coming? All the families of the earth will be blessed. In the spiritual, because Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. All right, Forge. Just quick review. You know, he, Jacob was 17 years old when he was put in charge to lead the family's business that all the finances, all the stewardship of the, of the household of Jacob, and to shepherd his brothers. They hated him for that. Okay? And then he has dreams, and he tells them. And they hate him for that. And they sell him as a slave. So he goes from the head of the family to the bottom of a pit to a slave block in Egypt. And from the slave block... He becomes head steward over Potiphar's house, only to be stalked by Potiphar's wife, and then falsely accused and thrown into jail, rising again to be chief over all the jail affairs, rightly interpreting the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, but then forgotten for two more years. So he's 30 years old when he is presented before Pharaoh. Okay, for 13 years, he has been up and down and up and down in the pits in Egypt. So, you get to that part where you have to understand Forge. We need to zoom out here. We need to step back from Joseph. Okay? Step back from the plot here. But let's get to the part where we, we understand that honesty and integrity and careful skill and workmanship and holiness don't always produce success in this worldly system. Now a few, and some, maybe even most, will be honored and respected and some even feared, okay? Because we've been placed in those positions by God himself. Now, now note, God could have used a King David type a warrior, a poet, a musician, a leader of men to help break through the problem in Egypt to save Egypt. God didn't do that. And, and he could have used a Moses, you know, someone who had been trained in all the wisdom and knowledge and science and warfare of Egypt. God didn't do that. He chose to use an accountant, a bean counter, a planner, a strategist, a steward, a manager to save Egypt and to save Jacob's family. So likewise, if you think, oh, 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 God will use pastors, he'll use worship leaders, he'll use missionaries and evangelists, and on and on, which God does. Okay, but, get this, but he also uses you. Each of us 
all gifted differently, all set apart to him. All of us with our own destinies. See, because in your sphere of influence, whether it's at home, at school, in the neighborhood, with other moms, in men's groups, in trade, in trade negotiations, whatever your sphere of influence is, and you find yourself submitted first to him, he, the Lord God, will see that a harvest comes out of what you do. Now, it may not be prosperity, but it's going to be a harvest in your heart first. And Forge, like Joseph, you will be blessed with what causes you to forget all that pain in, in your growing up in your father's house, in your crumpled career, in your hurting marriage, in your challenged parenting. Because when you go to him and you say, here it is, Lord, what does he do? He takes it and he holds it and he holds you. And he cares for you. And like Joseph, he will make you fruitful. Remember? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, long-suffering. Faithfulness, fruitfulness. So, Forge family, how do you get to a position of authority like Joseph? Number one, you obey God. You just set yourself, that's what he tells me to do? I'm going to do it. Number two, you learn to love his ways. You love him and you love what he does. You love his ways. See, early, early on, as a young man, young boy, young man, Joseph was appalled at his brother's behavior. And he made a choice. He just said, not going to go that way. He chose differently. He chose God's ways. And it shows in his character. Number three, you, you become faithful in little things. Luke 16, verse 10 says, He was faithful in little things, is faithful also in much. He was unrighteous in very little things, is unrighteous also in much. So guys, you know, you, you start with the small things. Okay, what, what is the small thing? You, you learn to honor dad and mom. You learn to obey dad and mom. You learn, you obey God. You, you obey the scriptures. You get it. It's like, oh, yes, Lord. And then if you, if you make a mistake, you confess it and you change. But you keep going. Husbands, you love your wives. Wives, you love your husbands. You honor your husbands. You, you submit to your husband. At work, we honor the boss. At school, we honor the teacher. You, we do what you're told. And, and you get skilled at what you do. You find what you love to do, and you get skilled at it. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. And then, having done all of that, you ask God for ideas. You ask the inquire of the Lord, what does this mean? 
How do I go forward? What would help these people? How do we solve this problem? How do we reverse this thing, this curse? How do we change the environment? See, all that is in, in the hands of the Lord. See, when you've, got, when you've paid your dues and you've been faithful in little things, then you ask him, what do I do next? Six times in one chapter, six times in chapter 39, the text says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now, I want that. I want that for all of us. So, Lord God, we call upon you. We love you. You called all of us into your service. And, and that means we're called to honor you. And we do. We honor you, Lord God Most High. We would do that well. By Holy Spirit. Lord, get us ready for those of us who will stand before kings. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, I love you. We'll see you soon.